We are hunters, anglers, riders, and sometimes chefs. Our passion for the outdoor lifestyle motivated the foundation of Harvesting Nature, which serves as a media outlet built to inspire and educate the outdoor expert and novice alike. Our podcast focuses on the technical side of cooking wild fish and game, while also incorporating adventures and lessons learned from our pursuit of wild meat. Join us on our journey of Harvesting Nature. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fish and Game podcast. Uh, I've got Justin here, your host, and today we are joined by another very special guest, and I will let her introduce herself. Hey, I'm Evie Gebhard, and I am with Outdoor News Publications. And we're very happy to have you on the podcast this evening. We've faced a little bit of technical difficulty this this evening, but we're pushing through it. And uh, also with us today, we got Corey. How's everybody doing? So, um, do you have a couple of things I want to cover before we get into sort of the the main topic of the conversation? So, I did want to remind everybody we do have a new podcast that's coming out. So the the first episode is scheduled to release on the 13th of September, and uh, we're really excited about it. Corey and I have been putting our heads together and uh, laying the groundwork for, for its release. Uh, and like I spoke about in the last episode, if you listen to it, it's uh, going to be titled Adventures for Food, and we're, we're going to put more focus on the actual adventure story. And, and as many of you guys know that guys and gals, I should say, know that uh, our field staff writing team are, are responsible for creating a lot of our content, and they give you great stories and recipes and articles from around the North America, and this is an opportunity for them to take some of their favorite stories and your favorite stories and to provide a little more context and just kind of, like, tell it. So uh, this is... Yeah, yeah, bring them to this life. Is, this is really Corey's idea uh, that we quickly created and, and brought to fruition. So, Cord, do you have any other comments you want to you wanna pass about it? Because um, I don't think you – well, you weren't available last week when we were recording to kind of to expound upon your, your concept. No, I just – I just uh, – you know, wanted this, this series to be like, you know, hunters sitting around a campfire or kitchen table telling their, their favorite story or their – their hunt for the day, just kind of like that. And, and, uh, um, you know, that's what, why I started writing for Harvest Nature. I just wanted to, to tell my story. So I, I want to hear everybody else's story. Yeah. And that's awesome. And, and we've got some great stories lined up already. Uh, so the first, the first couple months, uh, I know will definitely be solid, uh, with some good entertaining stories and we're shooting for like a 10 to 15 to 20 minute window on these stories. So it's not like a full podcast episode. We're going to try to keep it concise. Something, you know, if you're, you're driving back from, from work or you're, you know, processing game or cooking dinner or doing whatever you can throw one of these stories on. And it's a great, great length of time to just really get the meat of the story and, uh, just kind of feel that inspiration. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about too is is we're right in the midst of our our wild fish and game virtual cook off. That's a mouthful, but uh, if many of you have been following it, we we did the entry phase at the the last week of August and went through the uh, first couple rounds of voting. And then, as you're hearing this podcast, we'll just be starting the first day of the quarterfinals. And so, what that is is it's it's our fans submitted uh their favorite photo of a wild fish or wild game dish and we then compiled our top favorites and ran them in basically like a head-on-head single elimination contest where you the followers of harvesting nature are the voters and you guys are really dictating who's going to win uh the really cool prizes at the end and I encourage you to go, you can head over to Instagram, the links are there, Facebook, the links are there, and uh, check those out, so that way you can go on and, and support uh, support those guys and gals who have entered this contest. So, it's cool to see, uh, Corey, I tell you, it's cool to see some of the creativity of everyone out there, and I'm really enjoying uh, the 
the diversity of dishes that I've seen so far, and I'm excited to see who's going to come out on top. So, yeah, definitely. I felt like a sports broadcaster for a minute, like I was talking about NCAA <laughs> basketball or something. But, um, <laughs> um, I think that's it. The other thing I'd say is, uh, go check out our new Blaze Orange uh, hats, caps, and whatnot over in the in the store. There's always logo shirts, coffee mugs, all those things uh, are always there. If you guys didn't know, we have a store. We do, and we like to share cool things with you uh, as we create new stuff um, that both shows your love for us and our love for you. I guess is the way to say it. But anyway, let's get down to the uh, let's get down to the main part of the show before I quickly digress into talking about t-shirts and ball caps. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, Abby, like I said, I, I'm really happy that you're, uh, you were able to come on and join us for this episode. And it's been a really great working relationship, I think, between Harvesting Nature, myself, Corey, some of the other riders and, uh, and Outdoor News over, goodness, it's been probably what, five or six years? Yes. Yeah. I was looking at it today. It was actually five years that we kind of had this solid partnership going. That's really awesome. And, and. I've, I, uh, I think Corey and I, we were talking about the episode and stuff, not last night or the night before. And I still have like some of my first articles, like in picture frames up in my study. And That's I was, awesome. And I was like <laughs> telling him as we were talking about it, I was like, yep, here they are. Cause I think <laughs> I can't even remember how, how we, uh, got, hooked up together you know i think it was i i am always kind of on a search for folks that that have this um kind of the sense of connecting the harvest with the dinner table and i i actually think i kind of stumbled across uh, justin and reached out and it just kind of blossomed from there and um it's like you said it's been a great relationship um and the partnership is great from my perspective, because you're genuine. Everyone that we work with does the, does the work. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not like a, sometimes you have a professionally trained chef that has a lot of skill in the kitchen, but being able to connect that to the field or the lake um, is tremendous in my book. Well, I, and I think that too, that's something we sort of definitely, we pride ourselves at, but I also have enjoyed the approach and and I do I pay attention to a lot of different articles and and you guys feature some amazing recipes which I want to talk a, a little bit about uh here shortly but I know one thing with us we've we've tried to make sure that we're communicating dishes that aren't too complex but are still you know super flavorful and that that anybody who's going to get in the kitchen can can create so and and like you said, that connection sort of to the to the field or or the stream or the lake or ocean, oftentimes is a. Uh, I'm happy that we're we're still represented in that manner because that was definitely our original intent. Yes, and and we we've, we've nailed it. I think. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> so, um, what what did. Can you tell us a little bit about your position at Outdoor News and, and your involvement? Because uh, I know that you, you deal in much more than, than just the uh, taste of the wild. Yeah, I, I actually serve as the Director of Business Development for Outdoor News. And for folks that aren't familiar with the company, um, we actually started back in 1968 with our flagship publication in Minnesota, which is where I live now. And it it blossomed from there, it grew over the years. And now we have seven different states that we publish. It's in a newspaper format, but it's a very much a hook and bullet publication that goes out there. Um, We have Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, Illinois, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and New York. So we really flank the Great Lakes states predominantly, um, but we also then have that tremendous global footprint in terms of our newsletters and website and all of the social media reach. So 
what I do as a director of business development is work directly with our sales and marketing director. I do a lot with um, contests that we may be doing with Outdoor News. One of the cornerstones of my position is overseeing our youth program, which is our nationwide junior pro team program. I do a month or a weekly newsletter with that and interface with different captains around the country, um, get tips from them that really speak to youth at their level and in their language. Um, I'm also involved in a, we have a deer show that we put on up in Minnesota and I do a lot of the marketing buying for that and um, kind of help things roll in terms of our circulation footprint. So I've kind of got my fingers in a lot of things. And of course, one of my passions is cooking. So I initially, when I went on board with Outdoor News uh, seven years ago, immediately took over that facet of the portfolio, which is a regular feature in every edition of Outdoor News. And so Outdoor News itself, that's a, it's a free publication, am I correct? It, no, it's actually a subscription-based publication. Okay. And so, like I said, we've got those seven states, and we go out weekly in Minnesota. So we're putting out a weekly hunting and fishing publication that's hyper-local. Um, the same thing happens bi-weekly in those other six states. And one of the cornerstones of the publications is that we really strive to provide the information in terms of what's going on with legislative actions or policies. We're kind of the watchdog for the sportsmen and women who call those states home um, because there's not really any frequent recent publication focused on the outdoors, the conservation, the sportsmen, and what's happening at their state level. Um, and that's a kind of a big void that we fill and our, you know, we really hang our hat on that. That's good. And that's a, I think a very important facet because especially in, in the time in which we live now in which the, the flow of news and information is so high that it's easy to get lost. If you're, you know, an, a consumer who's trying to focus on one particular type of news, you know, I want to understand what's going on in the legislative community within the outdoor world. It's easy to be like, Oh, it's being overshadowed, you know, on lots of other media platforms. So it's great to see that the, the focus has, has stayed so that you outdoor news is able to provide readers with a good constant stream of information, reliable too. Which yeah. is, and it, and it's not just that legislative mm -hmm. piece. Um, the pages, one of the things our, our managing editor, Rob Driesline, he really brings this integrity of the journalistic approach to it. But the fact that the, the writers for us, like your staff and your team, these are people that are muddy boots. They are out there doing it and they are sharing tips and there's features and their experiences and what gear is working and, you know, what's happening in my neck of the woods. So it, it's very much almost like a conversation with a good friend over coffee. I think that's the best way to equate what somebody sits down with a copy of Outdoor News. That's, that's, a, that's an excellent uh, analogy. Um, I am curious, you mentioned the deer show. I've never heard of a uh, a deer show so for, forgive me but could you elaborate a little bit as to what that Abs is? absolutely <laughs> um it is actually in minnesota the largest showcase of um trophy whitetails in the state and we work with our official measurers group in the state of minnesota and it is the event where hunters in the state bring their animals in for scoring and we have different competitions for the different mounts, um, bring in a lot of different speakers to share information. There's seminars on everything from bear hunting, um, turkey hunting, and of course, different whitetail tactics. And then we also obviously have exhibitors at that event too. Oh, that's nice. Um, and with the youth program, uh, I'm curious about that. So you kind of mentioned that there's sort of area captains and then working with you to provide sort of language and tips and tricks and, and kind of working at that level. Um, right. Well, like we just had one of our junior pro team captains is a young gal and she drew a bear tag and was able to set up a bear baiting station. And so she took us out via video and showed us, okay, this is what my bait station looks like. This is how long I've had it set up. These are the things that I put in place to make it strategic. This is where I'll be hunting from. So she's, what she's able to do is to communicate to other young 
athletes out there that are going to be looking at joining the outdoor arena and saying, wow, there's another team that's doing something that I have an interest in. And it almost makes it acceptable. And and unfortunately, in our society today, I think a lot of kids kind of get ostracized if they are into hunting and fishing. Um, some people just don't quite understand it. And mm-hmm. even sometimes their parents aren't involved in it. And so what we're trying to do is just provide kind of a safe, welcoming platform for them to share information and photos. And, and the more they see other teens and youth participating, then there's the greater likelihood that they may show an interest in that. That's really awesome. And um, for some of our younger listeners, I guess, where, where would they go to access that information or share with each other? Well, the first step is just to join. It's for anything, any teen or youth, 18 and under. It's completely free anywhere across the U.S. And they can just go to juniorproteam.com and sign up there. We'll get them hooked up. And Instagram is a big medium for us, um, somewhat on Facebook, but most of the youth are working and, and communicating back and forth on the Instagram platform. So we do a lot with that. That's awesome. I'll, I'll definitely take it. I, I want to take a look at that. And I, my daughter's eight, so she's starting to come into the the being more interested in the outdoor world. And I think, Corey, your daughter's about the same age as well. Um, yep. Yeah, we've, I've looked into that. I was thinking about doing that because I think the information comes when you um, subscribe to to uh, the publication. So I'm, I'm a, I get the Pennsylvania edition. Mm-hmm. So well, got to look into that more for my daughter as she's getting closer to going out in the woods and actually carrying a, a, a rifle or a shotgun. Yeah, absolutely. So I've, I've been with Outdoor News for seven years now. And uh, one thing you may not know about me is that I spent 25 years up in Alaska. Oh, wow. And, yeah. That's what, and... yeah, I was gonna, I'm <laughs> curious to hear about your history, definitely, um, even more so now. Um, so, are you originally from Alaska, or? Actually, no, I'm originally from Minnesota and moved up to Alaska when I was young and eager and actually lived off the grid. And I'm talking off the grid, no running water, no electricity, hauled my water from a stream, lived on the side of the mountain on a parcel that is actually surrounded by uh, Denali National Park. Oh, wow. So gorgeous, gorgeous. Probably the biggest adventure of my life in those 25 years and experiences up there. Um, I am somewhat of a hunter, more of an angler, but have fantastic memories of chasing Roosevelt elk on the Fognac Island, which is part of the Kodiak Island area. Mm-hmm. Um, and cooked wild game, you know, pretty exclusively up there. Um, did everything from processing it with a canner. Did a lot of that. I had a root cellar. Was a prolific gardener, uh, but it was a, an incredible part of my life. And I, I tell anyone, if you ever have the opportunity to explore and expand your horizons, jump at that chance um, because it's it's a pretty remarkable opportunity. Wow, that um, I do I do have some questions. So twenty five years. That's a a long time to you were off no not that no 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 not all that time okay Um, (laughs) just for the yeah clarification there um that's how I started out um okay and so spent the first couple of years there and and then what we were doing is I was involved in commercial salmon fishing up there Mm -hmm. um spent some time as the the cook for the entire crew so cranking out three meals a day for 30 guys on a fishing crew And um, then I got into buying fish for a commercial fishing operation. And eventually, um, my husband at the time is a sled dog racer and was very involved. I don't know if you're familiar with the Iditarod sled dog race. Mm -hmm. Um, But so we had this huge kennel of about 80 sled dogs. And so that was a huge, huge part of my world. Um, And he always justified all of the hunting that happened in the fall as his training 
for the racing season. So, you know, Smart guy. <laughs> so I do remember one time we were, we were sheep hunting and, and I remember like climbing, like mentally picking a rock, like, okay, I can climb to that rock. And then I'd pick a rock higher and I'd climb to the next rock. And I remember getting on top and looking at the saddle of all of the shale on the top of the mountain thinking, could they medevac me off of here? Oh, no. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but, but so, um, and then uh, I, we had one daughter and kind of needed to get her as, as an only child being raised in a remote environment into kind of the social setting of a school. And so between the sled dogs and our daughter, that kind of pushed us to move into a more, what I'll call civilized environment. Um, and that's what led me into media and marketing and um been involved in that boy that's that's been my major career path in life so and then seven years ago you worked your way into outdoor news which is yeah i i moved back to minnesota Uh, my parents were aging and i kind of thought you know the mountains of alaska will always be there but my family won't and so kind of went through a transition in my marriage as well. And the, the timing just worked. So um, came back to Outdoor News or came back to Minnesota and just happened into this position with Outdoor News. It was a great fit um, because of my media background. And then also because of my passion in terms of being exposed to trapping and hunting and obviously fishing as well. Absolutely. Now, do you do you still get out and uh, do any any hunting or angling? Um, angling more so than hunting, um, and and that's that's always been more of my passion. You know, little duck hunting here and there mm-hmm. um, in Minnesota, but I've got enough friends that are out deer hunting that it has just not been something that I've pursued here in Minnesota since I came back. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Um. What's I will ask? What's uh, what's your favorite species of fish to go out and go target? Oh, salmon! Salmon, hands down. I love it. And silver salmon, to be specific, the cohos. That that was me. My follow on because I I've recently um, <laughs> been educated and unintentionally educated on uh, the different varieties of salmon. And I you know I grew up in in Oklahoma and then you know primarily lived in the southern part of the U.S. and like. Salmon fishing to me is a very foreign thought, although I I want it to not be. So uh, education is key. But um, just thinking about that, the the variety of salmon that's in North America is is pretty incredible to me also. Yes. The area where I lived for the most of the time in Alaska is if you see the picture of the giant king salmon, Mm -hmm. the behemoth, that's where I lived. Okay. And so I've brought a few of those in myself, but like I said, the silver salmon is, I love them because they're a late season salmon up in Alaska. And so it's, it's beautiful out, you know, you've got the crust of snow up on the tops of the mountains and this, this foliage that is just to die for up there, this gold and crimson. And so it's kind of a crisp environment. You go out early in the morning and you've kind of got that low fog on the river. So it's a great just the experience to be out there is tremendous, but they're a fun fish to catch because they're real acrobatic and, uh, and great eating. They're great on the smoker and they're just a fabulous fish. I've been watching a lot of people on, on social media, um, building smoke houses this time of year and, and getting their salmon smoking and stuff like that. Um, do you do anything outside of, of, or would you recommend anything outside of smoking for salmon? Oh, I could hook you up with a ton of recipes for salmon. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I've, I've got one that I really enjoy making. Um, it's you just lay a salmon filet down, take some roasted red peppers on top of there, lay some fresh spinach on there, a little ground pepper, and then put some um, probably provolone cheese would be about the best. Seal Ooh. it up with some foil and bake it. It's fabulous. Sounds really good. Yeah. I do. We, we eat a lot of salmon. I'm very particular about, and we don't often get, you know, living in the Florida Keys, we end up with more saltwater local varieties than we do salmon. But um, I keep my eye out. And when I see the wild caught salmon come in, um, you know, from Pacific Northwest, I won't, won't typically buy it from other countries or 
continents. That's wise. That's yeah. wise. Yes. Well, and even up in our Great Lakes states here, we have the the salmon out of the Lake Superior, and mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of great fisheries up in this neck of the woods too. And the, and the lake trout is great. Do you? Yeah, we have uh, steelhead here in Pennsylvania that that uh, I like to fish mm-hmm. for. Now, I have to say I've had some fabulous whiting when I've been down fishing, some surf fishing off of uh, Florida's mm-hmm. coast. So it's a wonderful, sweet, almost like a little lobster taste to it. Yep. We we end up with, a, I think, probably one of the most targeted. I'm actually going going Friday to go uh, deep drop fish. We'll, we'll target like grouper in that. But uh, when we get out spear fishing and stuff and, and on the reefs, like hogfish or snapper, uh, are typically what we're targeting, but I I like a lot of fish, and uh, my my wife's a huge seafood and and freshwater fish fan, so um, more so over meat. So it's typically easier for me to get a pass to go fishing. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, let's see. Well, game wise. Uh, even though you're not getting out much hunting, you said you do have a passion for cooking. So what's what's one of your go-to or favorite wild game recipes? Well, I I adore elk. I just think it is fabulous. And I have a recipe where you, I being a dairy farmer's daughter, love butter. And uh, just take a good cast iron skillet and get it nice and hot with some butter and have your garlic and some mushrooms on the side ready to roll in there and it, it's it's a quick hot just kind of searing it on both sides kind of ladle some of that butter over there get that garlic in there till you have that aroma kind of releasing and the mushrooms just sauteing them in there and serving that is fabulous in my brain Ooh, I do like butter and mm-hmm. sauteed mm-hmm. Um, any, any spices you would recommend throwing in there, like rosemary or, um, you know, it, it, it very, that is kind of a unique thing because I love rosemary, but Mm -hmm. some people, it's really almost an acquired taste. Some people are really turned off by that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, one of the things you could play with is blue cheese um, because it adds a real earthiness to the dish um i've taken butter and blue cheese and mixed it together and then froze it in little logs and then you can just cut like a slice of that off and use that as your basting sauce because there's a nice flavor enhancement i love pepper i love garlic those are kind of probably my two go-tos um and then you've got some that i've kind of been very interested in that you've talked about in different recipes the tactic calorie ones am i pronouncing that correct Mm-hmm. Yep. Tax yeah. Calories. Yeah. Yep. And, and it just seems like, you know, when you're looking at the ingredient list, they're, they're good quality ingredients that are going into it and they're not too salty. I think that that's one of the things people don't pay attention to when they're buying package seasonings is th- that you can do a lot more with herbs and not have the salt. You yep. know, so many of them rely on salt as the foundation. I, I've been... I've been sort of straying and I'm glad you mentioned that because that is definitely, um, Casey does a good job over tax calories about making sure that if there is pronounced amount of salt in his, in his spices that he's, that he's labeling it. And it's usually one of the first things on the ingredients list that you catch on because I've had a lot of people, um, throughout time and not just with my recipes, but just anything when they're using sort of a premixed seasoning like that, uh, mistaking it than just being like premixed seasoning and salt, mm. and it's just like oh, I mean, yeah. I I've been trying to uh, deviate a little bit away from salt from using a lot of salt, and I've been playing around with different like citrus juices, so lime and lemon um, in place of salt uh, because I've found and learned that um, they they will also enhance flavor much like salt will. So. And I just uh, had one of our Taste of the Wild contributors did a piece on using honeydew melon as a tenderizer. Huh. Uh, you puree it and use it just as a tenderizer. And there's different enzymes in honeydew. And that little bit of sweetness does a lot for uh, kind of a tougher cut that you may be sitting on. You know what? I've heard that before. Um, 
Yeah, I've, I've heard it with pineapple yep. that you can do it with, mm-hmm. with pineapple. I've never heard pineapple as well. Um, well, honeydew is kind of a benign sort of fruit. There's not a, a real mm-hmm. pronounced flavor to it. But she recommended not using cantaloupe for that. She said because they call it a musk melon for a reason. Yeah, she it, said could it does be not a, work. It, huh? I'm gonna have to try that. That's very. And guess what? You can find it online at the Outdoor News Cooking Tab. I would say I'm going to go over there right now. (laughs) Um, One thing we've been uh, experimenting with, and I've had several people, it was interesting that it caught on because I did it sort of as as a whim when I I wrote an article about it on Harvesting Nature um, about using uh, mayonnaise uh, to help better sear meats and the the emulsion between the egg and the oil and everything in there uh aids to a better like uh was it mayard reaction probably not saying it right but uh that's like where you get your browning on the meat yes mm-hmm. and uh i was completely surprised because the first time i did it i was like i'm not a big mayonnaise fan and so when i i tried it i was very skeptical and I took and I, I mixed like garlic powder and chili powder and a bunch of different seasoning with it and kind of incorporated into the, the mayonnaise so that whenever I would do it, I wouldn't get the flavor of the mayonnaise. But once I put it on the on the Traeger and seared it really hot, it's like it just there was no no mayonnaise flavor at all. And the the, the crispiness of the outside of the meat and the sear was phenomenal. And I was surprised. It was one of those like who would ever thought? I tenderize meat with honeydew, and then when I want to sear it, put a little mayonnaise on there, and boom. Just like some, um, I think, reliable ingredients that people don't always think about to use, which is cool. Definitely the science part of cooking. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the beauties of it. You know, you, you follow a recipe, and it, it is science. You know, if I add this and this and this, it's, it's all going to come together. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think that's good. Um, it's awesome, too, to have recipes like that. And I, I've seen them in, in Taste of the Wild before also that, that sort of like spell it out so that somebody doesn't have to be like, ah, I'm just going to try this and not really know the results. And it's, it's good because within the, within the mindset of cooking with game, people are often a little more reluctant to experiment just because oh. it's such a unique a unique cut of meat that uh you know people well, value and, and you've worked hard yeah you've really earned that piece of meat and you don't want to mess it up no you know so i can appreciate that you know that's it used to be the old joke that folks just used cream of mushroom soup on everything because it was safe <laughs> and they knew what it was going to come out like mm-hmm. and you know and i i attribute people's minds being open to podcasts like this that say hey let's let's explore something different and your website with a lot of great photos because i think that people need to connect oh it it could look like this you know we all have epic fails myself included oh yes me too (laughs) but but i think that they're willing to try it because they see someone else doing it with game you know Mm -hmm. and having that emphasis yeah, I think it it, get, it makes people more comfortable, mm-hmm. and that. But it, it also it it adds a little bit. I wouldn't say pressure, but it it makes us and I say us to say anybody who's going to put their recipe out there for the public to to test. Um, and I think this came through to in, in our podcast episode. We were talking with Hank Shaw, and he's like, you know. I test and test and test and test my recipes before I put them out because just think if, you know, some guys like it's his first date with his future wife and he brings her over and he's going to use one of my recipes to try to impress her. And it's just a terrible recipe. And now it's just like this one recipe has ruined this guy's life. He goes, how bad would I feel? You know, (laughs) that's a heavy burden. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, um, Thankfully, I, I don't think I've heard of a situation like that with one of mine. But um, I, I do think about it like, hey, if I try this and it's bad, it's like, like you said, somebody puts in so much work and they value this cut. And they're like, oh, man, I saw that recipe on Harvest Nature and I tried it and it tanked. It was terrible. <laughs> mm-hmm. But 
luckily we test. And we're, 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 you know, we're able to try a little bit and wow, I'm going to experiment with hatch chilies or something new that we may not have thought of bringing into it. I have a, my eight-year-old daughter is my biggest critic. She will tell me if it's not good (laughs) very quickly. (laughs) So, and that's even down to like the visual of it. She'll be like, I don't know about that. It looks weird. (laughs) <laughs> I uh, I used to cook with so much wild game and we had a fellow that was working for us and living with us and and every time he would sit down to eat every single time he'd say oh this is going to be good and so one time I asked him that you know like why do you always say that he goes oh my mom was a terrible cook and so my brother and I started doing this so that we'd mentally psych ourselves up for eating her horrible cooking and I'm I'm kind of like oh my goodness you know is my cooking okay and he's like no no this is great <laughs> and, and, and then the conversation evolves of well I, I don't I don't think I've ever had bear meat and I'm like mm, yeah you have well, I, I don't think I've ever had caribou. Uh, yeah, you have. You know, if, you, if you're eating at my table, odds are it's going to be game. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Yes. <laughs> it's like, a, what was that show? It was a, when, who was it? Gordon Ramsay would come in to the restaurants and he would like help save the restaurants. Yeah. Sit down. And he'd always say like a little prayer to himself before. And he's like, please don't let me get sick. <laughs> <laughs> That's what maybe I that jogged memory when you when you said that. You picture the guy sitting there like, "Man, this is going to be great." I hope. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so talk a little bit more about Taste of the Wild. Um, so, how long has it been a part of Outdoor News? Oh, well over a decade. Um, and and for a while they did kind of toy with the idea of kind of breaking it off and having it's it be a standalone food-based publication but as you well know that's a very kind of a a unique market space to be in Mm -hmm. Um, and we just said you know let's just keep it within the fold of of outdoor news and when I first came on board we had um, the priority being that we were going to go with well-named chefs across the country but some of them really had such a big emphasis on kind of peddling their own product through there. So if they had a spice line or something like that, and oh, yeah. it, it, it kind of got lost on the average hunter or angler. It, it was just a little too complex. Some of the names and the techniques didn't resonate with them. And so there's kind of been this gradual shift to say, yes, we're still going to partner with some really exceptional chefs and and people with experience and brand recognition out there. Um, You know, we've got this fellow here on the podcast that did a cookbook (laughs) and everything, you know, Justin. I don't know who you're talking about. (laughs) Um, No. (laughs) But but really these recipes that we are trying to feature now are ones that – People can go into their pantry. They're likely going to have the ingredients there. The steps aren't going to be overly complicated. And, and it's something you can, you can create. You can craft it is the word I like to use. You're capable of doing this. Um, and it's not too complex. I think that's, that's very important that you pointed that out. I want to take a moment. This is one of those, it's like a call to action. I reach out to the crowd and say, hey, Hey, everyone, if you're thinking of starting to write recipes for the public, be it a blog, if you're going to post them on Facebook, the key is to use common ingredients. It's it's cool to use in unique ingredients in various situations because I think that's inspirational. People look forward to that as well. But it's the steps of preparation. If you If you create like a novel of steps – people are going to be less likely to follow it. They may really, really be interested in the recipe, but it may be overwhelming. And I think just spelling things out of like, you know, mix this with Dix, A with B, do this. And like, just, just try to create recipes that are delicious, but not entirely complex. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with complex recipes because I've written them. Um, just through experience over time, I've, I've realized too that, there's like a fine line you have to walk between how creative do I want to be as a chef and like how well am I going to reach the audience? Yeah. Like that tuna head soup that you made, that was a little, a uh, little much for me. Well, yes. 
<laughs> that got me in trouble too. I got in trouble with my wife because I made our entire kitchen smell like roasted tuna head for like <laughs> a week. <laughs> but uh, it was a phenomenal dish. But yeah, I mean, I think there's a place and a time for it, and there's an audience. But um, it's definitely if I saw that and I was like, well, first off, where do I get a tuna head? Um, second, <laughs> I don't know how comfortable I would be to roast it, but. Yes, thank you for <laughs> thank you for bringing that up, Corey. That's an excellent story and a good example. <laughs> well, I, I think too, though, that that home chefs need to just kind of think about outside the box. One of the most popular recipes that we've run in a while lately was your recipe for using the um, waffle iron to make a cornbread waffle to put chili on. Mm-hmm. People were like, "Oh." my goodness how come I never thought of this before and they were cutting it out in our office people were taking that recipe home <laughs> that's awesome um I know Corey tried it yeah my wife really enjoyed that yeah my wife really liked that we, uh, one. I, I tell you I don't often um and I mentioned this before on here but it I find it's it's more of a challenge for me to like cycle back through to recipes because I'm always kind of like working working ahead and trying to tweak and figure out what my next publishable recipe is going to be but i've gone back to that one and it's just a fun one and it's good especially you know my wife and daughter both enjoy it um and it reminds me i don't know i love chili growing up in like texas and oklahoma area like chili is pretty pretty pronounced but just like i also have a really love for cornbread because we always paired the two together and, you know, I was thinking when I was working on that chili recipe, I was like, what's a good way to, excuse me, a good way to incorporate the cornbread and the chili? Because it's like you, you can, anybody can make cornbread. You know, you can go, you go buy a premix thing at the store. You know, you can, you can be super creative and try to create a whole recipe. But like, what makes it stand out? What, what makes it more exciting? And then I don't know how I stumbled upon the idea. Um through whatever research I was doing at the time about cornbread, which I don't know how many people spend time researching cornbread, but nonetheless, um, I ended up, yeah, with the, with the thought of like cornbread waffle. And, um, oh, it was, you guys know, uh, familiar with falafel, like the chickpea, you get it like, yes. So, mm-hmm. um, I always joked with my wife and I remember a couple of years ago, we saw it somewhere in our travels, somebody was making falafel waffles and they were taking the falafel batter and putting it into a waffle maker. And they had like these full on falafel, uh, shaped waffles. And I was like, okay, that's very interesting. And then for whatever reason, the falafel waffle, I think it just, cause I was looking at the batter and thinking about that, it, it popped in my head and I was like, waffle out of cornbread. And then I realized that there were other people doing it, but nobody was doing it with venison. No one's doing his wild game. And I was like, mm-hmm. that's the perfect the perfect foundation for a very fun recipe. So I'm Well, I think from my own cooking experience, one of the things I would say for anyone who is who has game in their freezer and they're thinking about what can I do with this, take a recipe that has beef and just recognize mm-hmm. you're working with a a protein that's not as fatty. And what can I do to to tweak it slightly and still make that core recipe? you know you don't have to go buy chicken you can use wild bird for this and Mm -hmm. and that's what i think getting people to think outside of the box with the things that they already have in their freezer or in their pantry is powerful and uh we've been doing a lot of looking at like um traditional like american dishes but subbing in wild game for it um, yeah, and because, like I said, just recognize that it's just a yeah. little leaner protein. What was I was talking uh, with someone about was like using uh, sort of lamb or goat because we eat goat. My wife's uh, Haitian, so we eat goat meat as well, and uh, those are both very comparable to like venison. Like, still a little, a little more fatty, but um, I think the flavors kind of dance around in the same circles. I would say. Those are common ones.
Eating better is easy with Factors delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. Here at Harvest in Nature, we are known to cook a variety of wild fish and game in a variety of ways. Probably one of my favorite methods is to cook in a smoker. Traeger Grills has some of the best products out there. Their pellet grills aren't just grills. They're smokers and ovens too. Anything you can do in the oven in your house, you can do on the Traeger. You can make desserts. You can grill steaks. You can use cast iron pans and braise tough cuts. You can allow roasts and briskets to smoke all day until they're tender and delicious. You can even use it to make jerky. Their variety of pellets are also very impressive. The different flavors of wood allow you to pair with your meat or fish or vegetables and give it the most flavor that you can create. They even have varieties created specifically for your next wild fish or game meal. I was I got a lot into it uh, in in our last podcast episode, and then a, a couple weeks ago we released a, an article on beer pairing. And there's not a lot of information out there for wild game. So when I was putting together the recipe uh, or the the article, which I say the foundation was uh, our managing editor Dan. It was it was kind of his idea, and we chatted about it, and I expounded upon it, but. Um, kind of having to look at flavor profiles and of other domestic animals in comparison to like game to kind of figure out like what types of beer fit in well. So it's a good resource to kind of use that in that way. But yeah, it's very interesting to be able to sub out game meats um, because a lot of people will put them way, way over in their own category when they have a lot of similarities, especially if it's like, You've got cattle grazing in a field and then deer coming in and grazing in that same field. Like they're going to have a lot of the flavor complexities because they're both eating the same types of food. Oh, and I can speak to um, black bear, a Mm -hmm. black bear that eats a lot of fish or a black bear that is just gorging on berries. And and the meat of that black bear, that berry bear is phenomenal. The only black bear I've had was a, it was Alaskan bear that had been eating berries. Like the the guy shot it like while it was still had a mouthful of berries. Yeah, isn't there very good, very very good. And I I've heard so many mixed things on like the the coastal bears and the ones that eat eat more fish based. Like some people like them, some people are just like, nope, that flavor's not for me. Mm-hmm. And some of it in, in any game is is a little bit of an acquired taste. You know, mm-hmm. I think sometimes people have a mental association with that game and, oh, it's going to be gaming. And they, they just shy away from it um, because they, they have a perception of what it, that it's going to be gamey, that it's going to be bad. But legitimately, you know, if you've had a buck that's heavy rut, you're going to taste it. Oh, yeah, it's the hormones and everything that mm-hmm. come into play. And, you know, that, that definitely scientifically, I believe, has been proven to affect flavor. So. Yeah. So looking at some recipes that are on um, Taste of the Wild outside of the chili uh, chili cornbread <laughs> waffles, what, what do you think are some of the other top recipes um, from various contributors? Well, we, we've got a couple of really solid ones for sausage making, which can be very intimidating for some folks. Um, they're, they're pretty eager to just drop it off and pay somebody else to make their sausage. But one of the, she lives in Montana. She's one of our contributors and her name is Eileen Clark. And she's authored several cookbooks on sausage making. And so we've got a couple of those on the site that she just walks you through it. But one of the things I really value with Eileen is that she'll 
put in there that yes, you can run this through casing and there's, she talks about the nuances of the different types of casing and different types of machinery that you can use to do that process. But she also steps back and says, you know, you can just make this in a patty and fry it up and eat it this way too. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I really think that that's a good resource for consumers. And then one of the other things that we dabble in is wild edibles. Um, we've got some, and primarily we're looking at things along the Great Lakes states, obviously, but um, morel mushrooms for in the springtime. Um, we have shagbark hickory, which is a tree up here in the Midwest. And with the explosion of the craft cocktail industry out there, um, we had one of the chefs that um, contributed a piece on making a syrup out of shagbark hickory bark. Huh. And, and it's a, a great infusion, um, somewhat like a, a maple syrup, if you will. Um, but it's a great cocktail infusion. I can, that's really intriguing. I, I've, I've loved to see the uh, creativeness of, of people coming up with cocktail stuff uh, um, and recipes. But that's, that's cool hickory bark. Huh. So mm. what... Um, and, and don't feel pressured on this question, but what is your favorite recipe that, that you've seen come through Taste of Wild? Oh, golly. There's so many. Um, you know, I, I, I probably really couldn't answer that. I, I think there's enough diversity in the portfolio. Mm -hmm. um, it, it even has had me look at things a little bit differently with the, the infusion of cultures We've got things that you're seeing on in social media and on our site that are very converse to, you know, someone like myself that grew up in the Midwest on a dairy farm for crying out loud, um, <laughs> you know, um, that, that I, I really like the ones that kind of expand my personal boundaries um, in, in terms of there was an egg Benedict that was a turkey, a wild turkey one. And I want to say the fellow is Sean. Yeah, He's a, Sean, a Canadian Sean contributor. Yeah. yeah, and I I would yeah. say I really enjoyed that one. Corey, you had a comment on that one? No, I was just saying, yeah, that was I remember Sean yeah. um, did that for one uh, for one of the Taste of the Wild recipes, and he's a uh, one of our field staff writers. Yeah. That's awesome, and it's good to have such diversity too. I think it speaks to a lot. It speaks to the speaks to the quality of the publication, and it, it speaks to the, I think, the diversity of the the audience as well. So, especially if they're very well received, then it's it's really cool. Um, I'm trying to think. Do you have any questions for us? <laughs> You know, I, I, I see that you're you're kind of expanding the podcast and and kind of what, you know, in terms of your core mission, what I view is that you're trying to say to people, let's get out here, let's do this. And because I have this passion to see kids being out in the great outdoors, you know, is there any type of an element that you're looking to expand where you're saying, let's take a mentoring stance with kids beyond just taking them out for their first hunt and have them involved in the handling or preparing and actually cooking game that they would help harvest. Is that anything that you would look at developing since your parents yourselves? I, I think so. And uh, Corey and I have, have talked a lot, especially this year. Uh, we've talked a lot about it. And Corey, I think it can answer this in a little more depth, but with my own daughter, we've been sort of going through the progress of like working towards a goal of getting her in the field and all that. And she's, you know, she's seen and helped clean animals and stuff like that. But I think that there is an opportunity because out there and I'm, I'm, I'm going to preface this and say that there's nothing wrong with taking your animals to a processor, but I think that there's a higher value and a personal value, uh, not just for the, the meat and the handling and everything else that goes with it, but just the ability to know that you've done it yourself and to sort of do it yourself and then to pass that on to your children or other kids. But um, I think it's extremely important. And I, I've talked a lot about it, that 
it's kind of a duty that we have as as hunters and anglers to introduce new people into the sport, but it doesn't end with that first time going out. Like you have to sort of examine your your relationship as a a mentor and a mentee and say, all right, like what what where do we go from here where do we grow from here and i think with youth that's a really unique place because they're growing as as people also within their respective outdoor space so i think that there's a lot of room for it and i would like to see us move in that direction and i think i think that we are but i think to i guess pun intended we're taking baby steps in that way um i don't and know it's it certainly can be a very intimidating environment um, just because of the culture and the world we live in today to, mm-hmm. to take a step with mentoring a particularly child that's not your own but then also you know there's a lot of confusion with kids today and you know is this going to be socially acceptable for for me as a child um it's scary you know there's no game plan written for us you know you hear horror stories of people whose parents you know made them get out there in the deer stand and they just hated it and they yeah. were completely turned off by that experience and, and I think our, I think our greatest ability to sort of tell the tale and paint the picture is, is to, to sort of put forth like, not lessons learned, but here's a good way to go about it, or here's a strategy to get people thinking constructively who are interested in doing that. Because just as you said, it is intimidating, but it's like, all right, I don't want to throw, you know, a kid out there in a deer stand. I was that kid, you know, here, go sit in this deer stand. I'll see you in three hours. And it's like, well, what am I doing? Like, I don't want to sit up here in this deer stand for three hours. You know, part of that was beyond just sitting in a deer stand for me that got me into deer hunting. It's like, there's so much more of the social aspect of it. And I, I think that what we have been doing and what we're growing to do is sort of spelling out of like, here's a direction. We're sort of painting a, not a guideline, but, a. yeah, we're learning as we, as yeah. we go, uh, at least I am. Um, cause you know, my oldest is, is eight years old. So, you know, we're just starting that process of, you know, I have taken her out hunting with me, small game hunting since she was four and then just exposing her to all the elements and, and, you know, so she's comfortable with that. And fortunately we live in a, a rural area where it's the norm that you're a hunter or a, or an angler. So there's not, we don't right now, we don't have to deal with that, you know, social outcast perspective, but um, yeah, it's when I first started writing for harvesting nature, one of my goals was to show, how I introduce my kids to, to hunting and fishing because, you know, I, my dad and I have a, a, a strong relationship because he introduced me at, at a young age and, and we have some, some great memories together. And I just wanted to do that with my kids and share what I've learned during those experiences to help other people um, take their, take their own kids out or, you know, nieces, nephews or, or what have you. And, you know, it's definitely a learning experience and, and I, you know, I, I don't want to make it sound like I don't get frustrated or I don't get upset or, or anything like that. I definitely, you know, there are frustrating times, you know, and, and you got to learn. And my, my wife never really fished before we started dating and, and I took her fishing and I took the wrong approach and now she doesn't go fishing anymore, as, especially not with me. And so that was that was uh you know eye opening okay that's what you don't do so i don't want to do that same type of tactic with my kids so so that they you know i want them to continue to go out with me to to hunt and fish so yeah, it's that's definitely a learning experience as you go and it's not it, there's you know you break down those barriers it's not just youth there's adults that have never had that experience Oh, yeah. um, that that we need to bring into the fold. And I'm really excited up here in the Midwest, we've got a group of women anglers. It's an actual association and they do a lot of um, pre-COVID, of course, um, events where they would bring people, women out and teach them fly fishing or ice fishing, which 
you know, I'm, I know in Florida, you cannot appreciate the fact that we <laughs> set up these little villages drive our cars out ice. there <laughs> and I'll go, Hey, how you, you betcha. <laughs> <laughs> but the, that, that there's a group of women that say, okay, maybe you're going to learn, you know, like with your wife, maybe it's that she if she had that experience coming from a female perspective, it may be very different. Yeah, I, I definitely pushed you hard because in my mind, having a good time is catching fish. So, I'd, you know, I'd be right next to her and say, oh, you got to do it this way so you catch fish. You got to do it this way. And then at the end of the day, she's like, I was happy just letting my line in the water and being out on the stream. I didn't care if I caught any fish. And, and because of my you know, overzealousness of trying to get her to catch fish. I, I ruined it for the both of us. Find, find somebody else to mentor into it then, you know, find a, find a, find somebody (laughs) who is eager for it. I guess just, you know, I I feel like we all kind of have a little bit of a responsibility um, to share this wonderful secret that we have in the great outdoors. I absolutely agree. I agree. Um, I guess, so I, as we were, we were both all of us talking there. I was thinking sort of, I think to answer your question in the simplest way, unfortunately I did the first time, but um, I think it's the direction we're moving in. But I think one of our biggest strengths is that we equally embrace success and failure at heart. Like, yeah. and we're willing to talk about it. And I think that unto itself lends well for a mentor or a mentee i think it's huge because it says like one we're normal people and that helps build an understanding that we it's okay to make mistakes but it's the lessons we learn from those mistakes and how we sort of turn that around i think is is important because that that somebody else can take that and hopefully not make the same mistake that i did yeah that's a great philosophy to have Um, well, so what is the best way for people to connect with outdoor news? Well, obviously, because we're on a global platform here with the podcast, I, I'll say social media is probably going to be an easy, an easy gateway, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. Facebook, Instagram, things like that. Um, YouTube is expanding for our portfolio. Um, they can go to our website where they could subscribe, um, check out the various states. Um, one of the great features with Outdoor News is that, you know, we were, our readers are part of the publication. Um, we have tons of photos that people submit to us, share stories with us. Um, you know, they're, they're part of the conversation. Um, and then we have letters to the editor, too, that people can can write and that's very interesting because it's all very much centered on their experiences and what they're passionate about in their hometowns in the regions where they hunt and fish up here in the great lakes region obviously um but i would say probably the website is going to be the first one and it's really simple outdoornews.com pretty basic there (laughs) (laughs) well um so we do give the the opportunity generally everybody that comes on uh, right before we close out. If we, anybody has any misfires or alibis or last thoughts, uh, so um, if you have a last thought, if, if you could provide us with something. Well, I, I just say you know, folks, don't be afraid to try. Like you said, it's failures are as as welcome as successes in there. You're you're likely not going to hit that. You know massive buck or the great big turkey that everybody's showcasing and all the pictures, but it's okay to, to get the little guy. It, it, you know, there's nothing wrong with bringing food to your table. And for a lot of my life, that's what hunting was. It it was a much of a gathering because you're going to make it through a very long winter. Um, So try, don't be afraid to try, take that step, ask help. I think that you will find people who would love to pour out their knowledge to you. So find a veteran experience hunter, ask them a few questions. I think that you may be surprised at how willing they are to share the information that they have in their head. I agree. Corey, last thought. I just want to thank Evie for coming on. I mean, we've had such a great working relationship for the past 
five years or so and it's great to actually sit down and have an extended conversation usually where it's just emails back and forth but it's great to actually yes. uh, have an in-depth conversation and i i echo that thank you very much for coming on and and it was i think we had a really good conversation um I love the food talk as always. Uh, we got we did dive a little philosophical there on a couple points, but it's good though. I think they're definite um, pronounced foundations in in the hunting and angling world that people need to be actively thinking about. And you know the the introduction of adult onset hunters and and thoughts forward about getting more youth involved um, are absolutely where our heads should be. So I, I appreciate it. This has been fun. Yeah. And everybody Definitely. out there, thanks for listening. As always, the uh, show notes will be available online. Um, right. Whatever podcast platform you're listening to, they'll be there. We'll list out whichever recipes we mentioned tonight. We'll give you the links to that to include those that we discussed uh, on outdoor news. Uh, that way you can go over and get a quick link to their website as well and, and go explore and go give them a, a look on social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, all those places. And uh, if you're in one of the states that, that they do the publication weekly or biweekly, uh, make sure you get on there and subscribe so you can get that coming in and get some good, I'm, good content. I'm a subscriber for Pennsylvania. So it's good stuff. I recommend mm-hmm. it. Absolutely. And, uh, after you do that, head over to Harvest and Nature on social media and give us a follow if you're not. And then uh, whatever podcast platform you listen to, hit that five star, leave us a review, tell us what we're doing wrong, or tell us what we're doing right. And uh, thanks, everyone. Have a good night.